The following is a Pro Football Network podcast. The primary voice for pro football at profootballnetwork.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, we are here. It is the Thursday edition of Between the Hashes. I am Ian Cummings, joined by Cam Miller. Cam, Christmas break. I mean, I don't know about you, but, you know, being a draft guy, behind the scenes, you watched literally a ton of tape. So it's nice to get off the hamster wheel for a couple days. How was your Christmas, man? It was uh, it was delightful. Not gonna lie, day off. Um, I got all my Christmas stuff done. My wife and I did before Christmas Eve. Even. So we had literally the 23rd and the 24th to sort of relax that night, watch some football, catch up on a couple of the movies, and then Christmas went uh, as smooth as possible. Both children got bikes, so that's been a fun new task to to wade through as uh, they learn how to bicycle around the house. Nice, nice. That sounds chaotic, but rewarding. So it's bit. nice. Yeah, I remember the days when, you know, I was mad about getting socks and I always wanted the toys. Now half my socks have like holes in them. So it's like, that's all I want. I'm an adult, you know, just give me clothes. I don't know. My, my daughter got me socks realize. for Christmas because she did not like how I have holes in my socks. So I was able to literally, that was, I was actually excited for those as well. I feel your pain. There you go. Yeah, exactly. Hey, it provides utility. Before we go any further, let's bring on our chief draft analyst, Tony Pauline, who's got some NFL draft news for us, joining us as always on the Thursday edition. Tony, how was your Christmas, man? It was great. Fortunately, I have no holes in my socks. I throw the socks out before we get to that point. So but I still got socks for Christmas. I got Christmas themed socks, so I'll have to put them in the drawer till next year. There you go. Hey, it's good to be proactive in that sense. I wish I was as good as you in that case. I, I can't do that. I bury them in my dresser and I forget about them and then I pull them out and they've got like a hole from the ankle to the heel. And I'm just like, well, this is this is not ideal. So I got to work on that. But socks for Christmas. Uh, that's a that's a good item. Let's get on to NFL draft news, though. Let's get on to the actual topic of discussion for today's show. Of course, if you're listening, please give us a follow on Twitch and hope you guys had a good Christmas as well. And hope you have a great time watching college football on New Year's Eve. But let's get on to NFL draft news. News with Tony, our NFL Draft Insider, who's got a lot of great items every week. Tony, starting with some offensive linemen, Alex Forsythe out of Oregon. Uh, what are you hearing from him? Yeah, two offensive linemen from the Pac-12. Alex Forsythe is telling people he's going to return to school. He's going to return to Oregon. I like Alex Forsythe a lot. I thought when I was at that Ohio State game, I mean, he basically made that offense work from his center position. Scouts are not as high on him. They think he's got a funky body. Body type is a big thing, especially for offensive line. Lyman, they're, they're not that high on his body type. I don't know if that's going to change. But from what I'm hearing, Alex Forsythe, who I grade as a mid-round pick, is telling people he's going to go back for another year at Oregon. Yeah, really interesting. A lot of centers going back in this class, it seems like. So next year's class will have some depth. The other Pac-12 offensive lineman on the docket, Walter Rouse of Stanford. What's the latest on him? Yeah, early on he was giving indications that he was going to enter the draft. I'm told he's pulled back. Very good chance that Walter Rouse returns. Uh, to Stanford, which probably is a good thing because he goes from a mid-round pickup. He has a real knockout year. He moves into the second day of the draft, if not higher. Yeah, you know, Stanford, they've generated some tackles over the years. Walker Little, obviously the most recent one. So they can generate talent there. It's just a matter of maximizing his opportunity and selling that stock at its high point. So it'll be good to see him go back. Another offensive tackle moving to the SEC now, Nick Brocker. Had some hype before the year. What's the latest on him now? 
Yeah, you know, it, it's kind of interesting. Early on, literally for the first three months of the season, the word was was Rocker was going to enter the draft. I'm heard. I'm told he's pulled back a little bit because he can't get the information that he needs to make the decision. Now, go back to what I said about Caleb Ellaby a couple of weeks ago. What happened with Rocker is similar to what happened with Ellaby in that when scouts came through Mississippi, the, head, the coaching staff at Ole Miss said he's coming back. So they really didn't evaluate him, which would get, get which would have enabled Rocker to get the information that he needs to make the decision. I still think he's a second-day pick. I don't know that he's going to be a left tackle at the next level, but I'm whole, I'm told where just a couple of months ago it looked like it was a 75 to 80% Rocker was going to uh, enter the draft. He's pulled back, and now it's kind of up in the air as to what he's going to do. Yeah, and that kind of adds an interesting element to this is that these NFL draft prospects are people trying to make informed decisions about, you know, the next step that they're going to take in their professional life. So that's something they have to think about, you know, from a pure prospect standpoint, he moves well, but the size, as you said, could maybe cause him to move inside. We'll see what happens with him. Moving on to the next guy, and this was a guy who kind of showed out in the pinstripe bowl, had three tackles and a sack. He's been a rangy safety for Maryland, Nick Cross. Uh, is there some indication? Because I know you've said this before to us that he has some more buzz in scouting communities than the media. What's the latest on Nick Cross? Yeah, yesterday could be a swan song because I keep hearing he's leaning towards entering the draft, has not made a final decision. But the fact is this, and I put this out on, on Twitter yesterday, he's getting high grades from scouts. I've heard day two grades. There were some teams that even consider him as a late first rounder. I'm not necessarily in agreement with that. But Cross, as you mentioned, is a guy who, you know, in the internet draft world really does not get a lot of buzz. But you talk to scouts, especially airy scouts on the East Coast, they really like Cross. I'm going to say it's probably about 60 to 70% he enters the draft. And what's going to happen is as we move closer to draft way, draft day and draft weekend, people are going to fall in love with him when they finally start to realize and find out about Nick Cross. Yeah, we have those late risers every cycle. It seems like last year was Jamin Davis from Kentucky. He had virtually no hype leading into the season. And then all of a sudden, like a month before, it's like, oh, hey, there's something to this guy. And then he goes round one. So it can happen. Like we said, probably not going to happen to that degree with Nick Cross, but a guy to get your eyes on because it seems like scouts like him more than the media does. Another guy who might have some hype behind the scenes, Western Michigan wide receiver Sky Moore. And we know that offense has been pretty electric with LB and Moore and Corey Crooms. But Sky Moore is the man on the docket today. What, what's the latest on him? Yeah, go, go, let's start with LB first. I would expect the decision that he's going to enter the draft relatively soon. Okay. Some things going on in the background there. People tell me that his receiver, Sky Moore, is going to follow. And, and Sky Moore was a big-time receiver uh, who made a lot of uh, big-time plays at Western Michigan. Someone told me he's definitely going to enter the draft. I'm not going to go with that. I'm going to say there's a very good chance, chance more fouls, LB into and enters the draft. I think one will have to do with the other. I think if LB enters the draft, there's a much better chance uh, that Sky Moore enters the draft. And I expect LB to enter the draft. Yeah, and that's kind of what's been trending. If you've listened to Tony in previous shows, it's kind of what the way it's been trending all years that Caleb LB is trending toward entering the draft. And if, it, if Sky Moore enters too, that's an interesting discussion. But with a name like Sky at wide receiver, you got you're destined for greatness. That's all I got to say. But he looking at his tape, dynamic, a little bit on the small side, but definitely dynamic, and can make some contested catches with that body control. So actually has a decent skill set. Going to be exciting to see where he goes. Moving on to the next name on the list, Greg Dolchich, another pass catcher this time out of UCLA. Dolchich, an in interesting one. He got some hype early on. What's the latest on him? I would be surprised if Dolchich does not enter the draft. From what I'm hearing, I would be surprised if he goes back to UCLA. Had a really uh, career season really put his name up on the charts, a downfield pass catcher. UCLA's produced a lot of tight ends in recent years. 
I think Dolchich really would add another name to that t- to that tight end class that's going to start to come yeah. off the board after Weidermeyer somewhere in the middle part, early part of round two through rounds three, four, and five. I think Dolchich really, if he works out, if he enters the draft and tests well before the draft, I think you're looking at a ah, third round pick. I don't want to say early second round pick just yet. I want to see what his uh, testing scores are, his measurables. But he's a pass catcher who can get downfield, and that's what you want at the tight end position these days in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you hit the nail on the head. I mean, yeah. the uh, yeah. the ability to get down the seam. Like, he's more of a tubular guy, but, you know, he can get down the seam. He has that size where he can bounce off of guys sometimes. So if he tests well, that's the biggest thing, especially with tight ends. You know, usually there's a correlation between athleticism and success at the tight end position. So you look at that. That will be a big determining factor for his stock. Moving on to the headlining prospect in our NFL Draft News segment, Sam Howell, the quarterback. Yeah. Uh, no one knows who's going to be the first quarterback off the board. It's kind of an open book in that sense, but he just got done with the Duke's Mayo Bowl, lost to South Carolina. Now he has a question to answer. What are you hearing on Sam Howell? Because we've heard some things uh, so far this year. It's anybody's guess. I mean, no one really knows. He's got a tough decision to make. He's obviously going to have to sit down and, and go through it. I think, you know, it's a, he didn't live up to expectations. So it's sort of a damned if you do, damned if you don't. If he enters the draft, he's probably he's not going to go as high as many people thought, you know, in the beginning of September. If he goes back and he can't get his game back on track, he could go later. Really, people close to the situation that have been close to the situation for, for a couple of months now say they really don't know. There, there, there's no uh, signal yet. He hasn't made a decision. I, I think the fact that he played in this bowl game kind of leads me speculatively to believe there's a very good chance he goes back to North Carolina in 2022. That's just my own opinion. The opinion from those out there is there's no final decision that's been made yet. Yeah, and I mean, you look at, you know, it from both sides, you can make a case for both, I feel like. I mean, this is a weaker-than-normal quarterback class, so Sam Howell, he's been productive for a long time. You look at that and say, well, maybe you can exploit that and kind of capitalize on that, but at the same time, kind of regress a little bit this year. Now you have to look at the situation to lost two of his top pass catchers. The offensive line was never very good. So the situation wasn't always ideal for Howell, but at the same time, never quite did enough to take that leap that we've been expecting him to make time and time again. Like this is the future QB one. We never got quite got to that point with him. So it seems like it would be on the fence. And it's good to hear confirmation because as I said, we've heard conflicting things all season. It's kind of weird to hear that because with a guy who's been so productive and has had this hype for so long, but that's just the way it is. So, We'll and don't forget, besides the two receivers that he lost, he also lost two really good running backs. That yeah, exactly. In the NFL right now, and, and you know the thing with Howell is, even though he did not have the year he was expected to have, and, and kind of regressed, as you said, he's still considered one of the top quarterbacks in this year's draft. He's still considered one of the top talents. I think as much because of the fact that it's such a weak year at quarterback at the top, as opposed to the fact that. Sam Howell is just a very talented quarterback at the top of his game. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's it's very interesting. And, that, you know, it's kind of like any other year probably would be more likely to go back. But this is the year where you kind of get a hang up there because, well, hey, this class, if any class is going to be the one where you can exploit it and still be a top pick even without taking that leap, it's this one. So 
we'll have to wait and see what happens. But Sam Howell, not 100% on declaring, still making that decision. So it'll be one to watch as we move forward. One more topic for Tony, uh, moving to the bowl season, the Hawaii Bowl. We've seen that COVID has, you know, it's starting to ramp up again as we hit the winter months and the Hawaii Bowl was canceled. Uh, Hawaii versus Memphis, less than 24 hours before the game was intended to start. So tell us a little bit about that situation, how it played out and, you know, how, what the implications might be moving forward with bowl season. You know, the report was that Hawaii had a large amount of COVID cases didn't and, and couldn't play because of that. And while I'm told while they did have some COVID cases, the big issue in Hawaii is the head coach and the players just detest the head coach, Todd Graham. There was a, an article written, I believe, in the uh, San Francisco Gate about a month and a half ago about how the players are just completely turned off. And I'm told that there were so many players from Hawaii that are in the transfer portal right now or moving towards the transfer portal. That was the primary reason why they had to pull out of the Hawaii Bowl. It wasn't just COVID. It was a few COVID cases coupled with the guys in the transfer portal right now or heading towards the transfer portal because of the dislike of head coach Todd Graham. Yeah, and that's interesting. I think I saw something earlier today about his own son transferring from away from the school, which is like that. That's not ideal when you're, your own son transfers away from you. But, you know, it's very interesting because I know on the surface people see the COVID and that's that's the main connection that gets made. And that definitely may have played a part in some respects. But, you know, having that dislike and as we've seen with the transfer portal, you know, it's making it much easier for players to just up and leave. And, you know, like it, it, we've, it's proven to be effective, right, with guys like Jameson Williams, Jermaine Johnson. If you have that opportunity to move on, don't hesitate. Don't drag your feet because you might not get another chance again. So it is something that you have to be decisive with, but it does add another element and kind of adds some some hairiness to this uh, whole bowl season and how they're going to finish this season. So you, you also got to be careful. I mean, there were guys who entered the uh, transfer portal after 2020 who still haven't found the team to play with. I yeah. mean, there were guys who were still in the transfer portal and, and, and expected to catch on with the program this year. Guys that I've gone through my list as I go through the film, you know, who are, are still in the transfer portal because – Nobody picked them up in, for 2021. So you've got to be, yeah, the, if you're a top-name guy like a Spencer Rattler, like an Austin Stogner, you know, you're, you're going to be in high demand. But, you know, if you're a guy that's transfer, you know, you're, you're, you're a mediocre starter from some school and you just want another chance, there's no guarantee. So you got to be careful. Yeah, exactly. Like you hit the nail on the head. Like you really have to make a calculated risk. It is a risk. And, you know, if you play it right, but don't just hit the transfer portal just because things aren't the way it was going to be, because the grass isn't always greener on the other side. Obviously, want to be proactive and looking for those opportunities. But there is a flip side to that where some people don't always find their footing. So it, it makes for a very interesting, a very chaotic season in the offseason. You know, it never truly rests so it's something to keep watching as we saw with hawaii if it happens to a high enough degree it can really you know tank your bowl chances as well so very interesting tony i appreciate you coming on for the nfl draft news segment again merry christmas happy new year and uh stay safe out there good to, good to see you when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, back to two, back to Cam. Uh, Cam, 
let's get on to college football. Let's get on to some head coaching uh, buzz. I know that that was something that was on the script, something you want to talk about. So we'll get into it. Uh, really, it's been a very interesting coaching cycle uh, in, in that sense. And, you know, this was something as I was reading the script, as I was kind of looking up this stuff, I was looking at, you know, the, the history and kind of the, the recent discourse that's been going on with coaching is that like offense is greater than defense, right? But you look at a lot of the, the new coaches that have been hired, Marcus Freeman promoted to head coach after Brian Kelly left in Notre Dame, Dan Lanning, I, he was going to get a job no matter what, it was just a matter of where, it wasn't like defense versus offense, but Dan Lanning getting that coaching job at Oregon, Mike Elko going to Duke, uh, Brett Venables going from Clemson to Oklahoma, the list goes on, Brent Pry, Joey McGuire, Jake Dickert, you know, all these coaches, a lot of the coaches that we're seeing in this cycle have been defensive coaches. So, you know, the offense versus defense debate, does that, do you subscribe to that at all? Or for you, is it more about just kind of, you know, cause people talk about that, you know, and they kind of gloss over the fact that being a head coach of a whole team, it's a lot more than offense and defense. So do you subscribe to that? What do you think of this new movement that's been going on? Uh, it's, to me, I like it a lot. If you look at the three of the four coaches in the college football playoffs, Saban, the greatest coach of all time, started a defense. This is where he began. This is how he rose through the ranks. Luke Fickle, defensive coordinator, same exact situation, rose up through the ranks. And even Kirby Smart, Saban's defensive coordinator. I mean, these are defensive guys who rose through the through the, the ranks of defensive coaches. And look what they're doing. They're winning football games because they're not having to score as many points as the other team because their defense is much better. Not saying their offenses haven't been good. Alabama's been historically good, but come on. I mean, what what was the Alabama teams known for previously before they started racking up these offensive performances? It was that defense, the six to three games that they're famous for, the Iron Bowls that they scored 10 total points. I mean, this is a this is the way to go. And so if you look at it, you mentioned the names. Obviously, we know Freeman and Landing. They're both 35 years old. Defensive coordinators moving on to the bigger jobs. Elko, probably lesser known, but still was Texas AM's defensive coordinator. So he's going to Duke. He's got a probably the biggest job of all these guys here. Venables, Clemson's defensive coordinator, going to Oklahoma. We're going to have to figure out what they need to do on defense as they move to the SEC under him as well. And same thing, McGuire was Baylor's linebackers coach. Uh, Baylor not necessarily known for their linebackers this year with Petrie and Woods, but still they were stout, a stout defensive unit. McGuire seems like a great culture fit too. But I, I subscribe to the argument, and it's to me it's very interesting to see what happens with these guys and these programs as they start instituting it how they're going to recruit and ultimately that's really what it's going to boil down to though unfortunately yeah and you know you make a good point with recruiting and that was something we kind of saw on the flip side you know a lot of the top hires of this cycle lincoln riley going to usc chris stobel going to uh, miami and then the third one was uh Shoot, what was it? Oh, it was uh, Kelly going to LSU. Yeah. I, I, I mentioned it earlier and I blanked on it, uh, but Kelly's not a forgettable guy either. I mean, you look at that, <laughs> that dancing video. He's not forgettable. I don't know how that happened, but, you know, you look at those too, and those are all effusive recruiters, guys who are known yeah. for that. And so you look at that also offensive backgrounded guys. So that does kind of strengthen the notion that, you know, we get tied up in this offense versus defense. What's better for your program? And sometimes there is something that's better for your program if you've had a terrible defense and you need to fix it right but usually it's those those bedrock things like recruiting and talent development those take precedence no matter what side of the ball and you know those hires look like maybe they'll prove it we need to see how it plays out for each one you know I, i'm not super optimistic about chris Sobel in miami but you know like I, I get like those bedrock things i feel like that's kind of the, the the life force of your program what, what it's going to be it's not offense versus defense so i don't that that's my take on that well, what's yeah it's it's tough i mean oregon never had trouble recruiting but miami also never had trouble recruiting under manny diaz and yeah. look what he was able to do so did mario cristobal actually 
elevate the players that he recruited when he once they got there. I don't know. I don't know if he actively did that besides the offensive line, which is obviously his bread and butter. And so to me, Miami needs help on the offensive line, but they also need help elsewhere. Keeping that South Florida talent, he'll be able to do that and he'll be able to help the offensive line. But I mean, let's face it, Justin Herbert's best year was his freshman year. The more Cristobal and him work together, so to speak, yeah. I guess it, we never saw Herbert take that leap and look what he's done now. And that was kind of a, that was a factor in draft evaluation too, where a lot of people, I know me, I overthought Herbert because the scheme really diluted his talents, right? Yeah. So you look at that, and that you know that, that it's not as a long good as he production. doesn't dilute Tyler Van Dyke, Tyler Van Dimes. I'm okay because I think he's yeah. the future of the program more so than Mario Cristobal is. I, and I would agree, man. I mean, some of his throws down the stretch, man, that guy's got talent. He, he's a name to watch in the future for NFL draft purposes. But uh, moving on with the college stuff, I know, and, and real quick, because this was something that, you know, I, as I was reading this, I was like, you know, this makes me think. We, we've seen college coaches and, you know, we've seen all this rotation at the college game. But we've also seen in previous years a couple of college coaches try and take the leap to the NFL. And it's never gone well. Is that just is that just me? That that's my observation. You know, going back to Lane Kiffin and Nick Saban. You know, Saban obviously a, a historic coach at the college level, but when he tried to make the leap to the NFL, uh, was out in one year. And then same with Lane Kiffin. So I look at that. You know, and then the recent examples: Matt Rule, obviously Urban Meyer. We don't we don't even need to talk <laughs> about that. That did not go well, and everyone knew that was gonna go that was gonna go poorly. I mean, you know, college coach or NFL coach, he's just you know not a good culture builder. But Matt Rule, too, going to Carolina, that experiment looks like it's starting to stall out. And I'm thinking about this, and I'm thinking I might be a little more apprehensive to take a gamble on a college coach if I'm an NFL front office, and NFL GM, because I know Matt Campbell was getting some hype in previous cycles. Mm -hmm. But, you know, looking at that, you know, and how rarely this transition has worked out, I'm looking at that. And I'm like, I'm not sure I want to take that risk. I mean, <laughs> how do you feel about that? Because I know that's been a big topic of discussion, you know, how college coaches translate to the NFL. To me, it looks like not well. Yeah, it's, I mean, who's the only real shining example right now? It's Cliff Kingsbury. And yeah. it's because he was able to build the team around his offensive scheme. And I mean, until they figure it out, defensive coordinators in the NFL are the best in the world. And so to me, I think they might be able to figure out sooner than later. They might even be figuring out right now this season as we come down the tail stretch of the season without, uh, you know, a fully healthy Kyle Murray. But that's a different story, different situation. But yeah. I, if you look at player or coaches who could get that tap, it's a short list, but you have to ultimately do, you look at them on, the offensive scheme or defensive scheme that they run, whether it's pro style, pro ready, or also their evaluation or elevation of players as well. So like Ryan Day is going to get to the jump of it, to the top of it. Matt Campbell's there already, but I think they're fizzling out. I think he turned down the Texas job last year. And then ultimately now he's going to be at Iowa state, maybe not just because he wants to be there forever, but because that sort of just seems like that's where his uh, ceiling is to keep this in the draft realm. Uh, but Ryan Day, I mean, he elevated Justin Fields into what he became. And if he can do the same thing with C.J. Stroud, then you're looking at a guy who knows how to coach NFL quarterbacks. And so if that's what he has to do, be a good coach of the most important position in team sports, the quarterback, an NFL quarterback, I mean, you can you can win with less, so to speak. And so I think Ryan Day is probably the only one right now that sort of seems tailor-made for the NFL in the future or this day and age of the NFL. Ten years ago, I would have said David Shaw 100%, but we all know how that uh, panned out as well. So. To me, I, I'm not I'm not a big subscriber of the belief that it has to happen. You don't have to pull a good college coach and make him a good NFL coach because it doesn't work. Yeah, exactly. I know people look at that college coach is like the flashy new tool. I know that was kind of a thing when Lincoln Riley was getting hyped up. Like, oh, this guy's the offensive guru. He's going to turn the NFL upside down, right? But that's not always the only thing. You make a great point with the quarterback development, especially with the rookie class that we've seen. I mean, these were guys that were hyped up a lot. 
And it's been a little rocky for them. Now, that was expected, right? It's still early. But, you know, you look at especially a guy like Justin Fields. I I don't think anyone can argue that the situation in Chicago is really benefiting him. You know, same thing with Trevor Lawrence in Jacksonville. Same thing with, you know, Zach Wilson's been d- developing. You know, we can kind of see that long track with him. But you look at that and you say, you know, what am I looking for from the college coaches? Not necessarily the revolutionary schemes, but maybe just the ability to develop the most important position. Like you said, that alone, maybe translate that, kind of take that, pick it up and plop it in your NFL system. And that can be. Uh, and then let, the, let your coordinators do the rest. I mean, at that point, if you can elevate your quarterbacks and then hopefully get a good enough cast of characters as your coordinators, I mean, again, you can win. You can win with less. Yeah, for sure. But it, it's one thing because like, even if I'm looking at college coaches for that, I got to make sure they're a culture fit too, because like, like yeah. we've said, you know, and this was a big topic of discussion with urban Meyer coaching a bunch of 18 to 22 year olds. is a lot different. 18, 22, 23 is a lot different than coaching grown men in the NFL <laughs> where it's their occupation. Right. So, you know, seeing that it's definitely a different culture fit and that's, that can be enough to knock guys off their center sometimes. So it is what it is. Me personally, I wouldn't feel safe going to the college pool. I would look at NFL first because yep. the guys who have the experience there, who know Maybe. the deal. You know. They've been around the system. They've been around the NFL. They've, I mean, there's something to be said for that as well. When you're coming in cold and have no experience in the NFL either, it's, it's a hard world, harsh reality. Yeah. It's culture shock, man. It really <laughs> is. So, you know, some guys can't handle that, but it is what it is. Let's move on from coaching. Let's move to NFL draft talk. I know you and I both love this stuff. And I was looking at the script and I messaged Cam. I'm like, hey, I'm giddy. I'm giddy to talk about this. This is my, this is my bread and butter. I know Cam loves this too. So, We'll go to some NFL draft stuff. We got some generic questions. We're gonna just churn through right here for our third segment. Cam, which position group is stronger upon your first studies, cornerback or wide receiver? We know they're both very deep position groups this year. I mean, I've been surprised. I keep discovering new guys every day. It seems like still, and we're nearing January, so it, it's it's kind of it's impressive, you know. But which position group is stronger to you? It's it's crazy to me to sit in this position and be able to talk about this because I've been hyping this guy up forever. So you know who I'm going to talk about. And I'll let you talk about your boy too. But I had this in mind. I knew you were going to like. I didn't even want you to say it. I have to. I should have worn Jalen Tolbert my Jalen Tolbert sweatshirt, but I figured that would be over the top. Uh, no, it's it's receiver to me. I know we're probably going to have three quarterbacks drafted before the first wide receiver. Maybe there's that possibility. But at that point, when you're looking at the receivers, it's not product of this class not being that good. It's product of the past two classes being outrageously good at wide receiver. So many good receivers to so many of the top teams that need other help right now that they're going to go to the other side of the ball or, or a different position. Well, Wilson, Olave, both OSU receivers at the top. I mean, at that point, Jamison Williams, call them all three Buckeye receivers at the top. And then, I mean, the varietal who's who of top maybe even 32 overall prospects on my board there's maybe three or four more wide receivers it's not a product of the class not being top loaded it's their day one two loaded in my opinion these are there are six or seven or eight maybe even nine total receivers that i could see like within the first two rounds so i think the second round will be a place to find receiver but then taking it that step further doing mock drafts come on you do the seven rounders you know how many wide receivers there are from like 100 to 200 that you just there's no way that this guy's sliding past maybe like 150 160 and i think that's the biggest separating factor is the depth of this wide receiver class there are guys who are producive uh, i mean ultra productive over four years of college football play right now or three years and obviously jalen tolbert is the best of the bunch but that's just where i'm at yeah, I, I knew you were going to add that. But no, Jalen Tolbert's a great player. And there's a lot of great players. And I, this is what I was thinking about uh, on our Tuesday episode with Ali. We were, it was a wide receiver episode. 
and uh, we had our top five guys. And I, I was thinking, because I, I knew I was thinking about Cam and Jalen Tolbert, and we didn't we didn't have him in our top five. But you know, that's because he's above the top five. I know he's, he's a he's a he's a zero, bro. He's he's Trust wide receiver. Me. He is the the um yeah he's the wide receiver but no like that just that kind of embodies how deep and talented this receiver class is you know because there was like at least seven or eight guys that i wanted to fit in my top five but i couldn't you know jalen tolbert is one of them he's a very talented guy i think he's going to be a great player you know eric ezukanma my texas tech guy i'm a big fan of him and i think he's a big sleeper but you know it's just and I don't think there's a Jamar Chase or Jalen Waddle in this class. I think Garrett Wilson is the closest thing. I'm a big fan of Garrett Wilson, but you know, I'm not in the business of overhyping guys, right? I'm just going to tell you what I see just straight up. And I don't think there's that elite prospect like, like a Jamar Chase or Jalen Waddle, but it is a very, very strong class in that, you know, mid to late round one day two range. Like you said, that is where the depth of this class is. And that is a great thing for teams that need receivers because you can potentially get very good guys at a value due. I know Alec Pierce, I recently watched a little bit of him. I think he's very underrated too for Cincinnati. He has a chance to kind of boost his stock against Alabama. Dijon Dixon, Nickel State is a big sleeper. I know there's a bunch of guys, Wandale Robinson, Anaya Smith. I mean, the list goes on. I could, I could be listing guys for the rest of the 15 minutes, but I know we're on the deadline here, so we can't do that. But I, I would mean, agree. We're talking about like Khalil Shakir and Calvin Austin being like in yeah. the top 15. That's just how stacked it is from five to 15, five to even 20. There are so many guys that they may not be a high draft pick and the casual fan may look at it and be like, where did this guy come from? Why was he a fifth round pick? That's just yeah. because there were so many receivers in this draft class that not, I mean, the teams that need a receiver, they're not going to go receiver receiver. They may, they might be able to wait now and, and, you know, draft them second round or their second overall pick or their third pick. Even it's, it's going to be a fun draft for this class, but it's also going to be fun how to see it to see it all shake out through the combine, through the Senior Bowl, uh, and individual workouts too. Yeah, the Senior Bowl receiver group is absolutely loaded, by the way. So I'm I'm really excited <laughs> to look at that group. But you make a great point, and, and that's something that I've thought about doing the seven round mocks. You know, what is it like 250, 260 picks? People don't realize how little, how how small that number is, man. I mean, it is small. Like there's a guy that I maybe I have a day two grade on, but. All it takes is some positional value, some needs, you know, and just guys going higher and they can slip all the way to round five, round six. You know, it happens every year. So that's why when I see people saying like, oh, there's no way this guy drops. Well, maybe there is, man. That's just the way the board works sometimes. It, it is a very, very limited sample. You know, you, won't, you can only fit 260 players and there's like thousands out there that might be considered. So. It's just something that you don't really realize it until you put it in perspective. So it's fun. But yeah, I agree. Receiver is deeper than corner. Any corners that you like in this class? Because I know, especially because I know this is a very deep corner class too. And we can't, we can't shrug that off. I mean, they're both very talented position groups with a lot of talent and guys that would get picked on day three could ultimately go on to have roles. I know Thomas Graham for the Bears is one guy this year. You know, we've seen that before. So any guys that you like potentially in the later, you know, maybe day three depth guys that could go on to exceed the draft billing? He's probably a day three guy now, but after the senior bowl, he could be much higher. Tariq Woolen. I mean, he's he's yeah. been my guy since I heard Tyrone Nix talk about him in the summer of 2020. COVID year, and he's over there discussing everything was virtual, so I couldn't be there. I wanted to go to, to San Antonio to, to be there in the preseason stuff because I had worked a rapport with these guys. But listening to Tyrone Nix, who had been around the game for years, he said, hey, this guy's got a pro future ahead of him. And this was a guy who had just played corner for three games after transitioning from a wide receiver. So now Woolen after 2020, after 2021, he's got the senior bowl, massive dude. He hits hard. He's got great coverage. I mean, this is the sky's the limit. It's the proverbial draft ceiling. I, I don't like using it, but there's no better term for a guy like Woolen where that we know what his floor is. We've just seen it. 
and it's very, very good. And so if he's only going to get better, this is a guy who may not start in year one, even year two in the NFL, but a guy who eventually will pick it up and slowly put it all together. And then there's really going to be nobody with that type of skill set. Yeah, and I love the uh, former receiver corner. That's an added bonus. So they already know how to play the ball. I love that. And then having the 33-inch arms, the 4'3", 40, over 40-inch vertical, that's just Ridiculous a bonus. Man. So he's a, he's a big – I'm a big fan of the upside there. Moving on to our next draft topic, how many edge rushers go in round one? This is a fun one, man, because I know Aiden Hutchinson, Kayvon Thibodeau. Well, actually, I have it Thibodeau-Hutchinson still, but they're pretty close. And then David Ajabo. Uh, George Karloftis, obviously. I mean, th- th- there's a ton of talent in this class. How many edge rushers do you think go in round one? I'm going to go with probably, I'm going to think about five or six. Yeah, and I know I know, I, I got to narrow it down to one, so I'll say five. I'll say five. I think, you know, there's guys like Jermaine Johnson or Kingley, Kingsley Enigbare. I think Ojabo, if he declares, is definitely in round one. And that's why I think he should declare. You know, I think the lowest he goes is probably top 15, top 20. Uh, but I- I'm going with five. I think it's those four that are at the top for me. Uh, Thibodeau, Hutchinson, Ajabo, and, and Karloftis, and then someone is going to sneak in from the uh, middle tier. This is another very deep position group, and as as we've seen in recent years, all it takes is a good testing, a good senior bowl showing, and another guy can sneak in. So I'm a big fan of, of this class, but I think there's a lot of day two guys. Maybe one of them sneaks in. So I'm going with five. Uh, how many do you think will be in? There? I'll go. I'll go six, but I think that there's probably seven guys that have the talent to be a first rounder. But Sam Williams will drop off because of off field character concerns. Yeah. But that being said, I mean, this is, you're right. This is maybe the better question, which is the more front-loaded or better group overall. Maybe next week's discussion can be about uh, that and pit the edge against another class because this is, it's a ridiculous class. Doing these mock drafts, I mean, obviously Thibodeau hit Hutchinson 1 and 2, 1A, 1B, however you want to call it. I personally love David Ojabo. I, I don't, I love him as a college football player. And so I'm, I'm interested to see how he stacks up with his speed rush and his spin move, which is the best that I've seen in college football in my decade plus of covering it. So to me, I think that that has to translate. I mean, right. Athletic ability translates. We know what translates for certain positions, but like this freaky spin move that he pulls off on NFL caliber, right. And, and left tackles, he's beating Aiden Hutchinson to the ball. You don't do that unless you're very good. So I love Ojabo. I also love Jermaine Johnson. I think he's got the best motor of anybody in the class. If you look at a guy who hardly left the field for FSU this past season and yet fourth quarter, Two minutes left of the game, he's chasing down quarterbacks, scrambling or ball carriers at full speed. This is the biggest, the best motor, the highest motor, and probably the most durable guy in this class as well. So I love Jermaine Johnson sneaking in as well, and the Greek goddess, him, the Greek god himself, George Karloftis, who I uh, also love and have a personal connection with. I love Karloftis too. So sky's the limit for a bunch of these guys, um, and it's I'd, I'd go with six in the first round. Yeah, a lot of young talent, man. It's it's a fun class. Arnold Evicady, another one from Penn State, I'll throw in there. I, I don't think he'll go round one. I think he might measure in a little smaller, you know, because I, I saw the weight for him was listed at 238, which for the senior bowl, which really surprised me because he seems a little thicker on tape. But, you know, he's another guy got great length for his size and very powerful, has good bend too. So it's a very talented class, man. And I'm just – I'm so excited to see where these guys land because even if you don't go round one as an edge rusher in this class – there's so much talent that go to go down the board. I mean, there's there's so much depth too. Like you, this is another position where you can get a very good value deal in round two, round three, round four. A guy who can contribute on day one and maybe be a potential starter. You know, this is the class to do that. This is a very good edge class. Uh, but obviously, up top, it takes the cake. I mean, there's so much talent. David Ajabo, a fun one. Moving on to the final one uh, for NFL draft discussions, and then we'll go on to some bold topics here. But uh, which QB in this class? Could be an all pro first, if any. This is a tough question, man. I don't know. 
I don't know why you threw this on me because I, I, you know, I do what I can. I'm trying to keep on your toes. I should have hit it first and actually asked you without it being on the uh, the pregame script here, we can call it. But oh, it's a good one. Tough, it's tough. You're putting me in a bind here because I really don't know. And if if I'm gonna be asked point blank, I know I'm notorious for sitting on the fence here. But my <laughs> my initial inclination is nobody, right? Because I don't want to I don't want to commit to anybody being an all pro from this class when none of these quarterback prospects are really head over heels for my QB one is Kenny Pickett right now. And that's, you know, hand size, notwithstanding, if you followed us at pro football network, you know, there's a lot that goes into that discussion, right? I mean, we know, we know his hands are small, like around eight inches, which is historically small, but Tony uh, dropped a really great nugget on one Thursday episode where he has a double jointed right thumb that helps him grip the football better i've never heard of that but you know looking at the pictures and i know we've had some confirmation like yeah this is true like he does you know it's something that factors in right and it's something we can't really account for or say like it works against him until we see how he grips nfl footballs but i think if the hand size checks out with Pickett, to me he's qb1 uh, i look at the athleticism i think he's very athletic uh, for the position around 6'3", 220. I love the uh, natural off-script ability. And I was looking at his mechanics uh, this last watch through, and his mechanics are very impressive to me yeah. because, you know, he's not perfect on the drop back. He's got some scissor feet. You know, he crosses his legs sometimes. He, he can be a little sloppy working to the throw. But before the throw, he's very good at riding his shoulders, getting those shoulders level. You want to do that. Very good at just getting those hips back so you generate that torque as you throw through. You know, I love that he is very natural with the muscle memory and resetting and getting to that point where he can launch and generate velocity. So I look at that strong muscle memory with the uh, mechanics and then combine that with the really natural off script ability. He's got a good enough arm. He's tough. He's a very tough competitor. Uh, he's pretty smart. He can use his eyes to manipulate safeties. So I look at Pickett and to me that he's the strongest candidate just because he's my QB one. Again, I wouldn't commit to it with any of these guys, but if I had to answer, if I had to get off the fence, that's what I would say. So I could have made it easier and said which one would be a pro bowler first, but there's yeah. no fun in that. The pro bowl doesn't mean anything anymore. It's all pro. You're, you got to go all pro. And Carson Strong is my guy because if you look at who's ready to be injected into an NFL lineup right now, it's him. It's Carson Strong could start year one, could start year two and actually make an impact. He's got the NFL arm already. I mean, these outbreaking throws that are 10, 19, 10 to 19, 20 plus yards down the field, the NFL throws, as you call them, not just underneath crossers. Uh, strong is strong to the boundary strong is strong across the field some of these throws that he zips in and layers over coverage is i mean they're ridiculous and so having watched all 130 quarterback situations and having watched specifically the top 10 quarterbacks for the draft you know i love kenny pickett too i think there's going to be an adjustment period for him to grasp grasp and, and grip onto an nfl offensive scheme i think he'll there'll be some growing pains and he might not go to a situation that needs him to play right away whereas strong i think has the best case to land in a situation where he's able to plug and play right away and so for that answering the question with a technicality he has the chance to play the most earlier so he could be the all pro first i do think that that's the race though the race will be for all pro status as a quarterback it's picket or strong but I'd, I'd lean strong at this point just the nfl readiness in his arm to me just jumps out yeah, and again, also, you know, like the NFL readiness, being able to navigate the pocket, read the field, you know. A lot of people say, oh, he, he can't run, so no. He's, but, he's Big Ben in his prime. I mean, he yeah. is Big Ben in his prime. And his prime is Miami of Ohio days, not Steelers days. This is yeah. Big Ben for Miami of Ohio. Yeah, and like people are going to talk about – we've talked about it here. I know Tony's dropped it too, the knee issue, right? Yeah. Um, but that, that'll be something we see at the combine, you know, how bad that is. But, you know, looking at him on tape, like 
you know, yeah, he's not going to shake you out of your shoes, right? But, you know, he can stand in the pocket. He can manipulate space and navigate the pocket, step up when he needs to. And, you know, being able to smartly navigate the pocket and keep yourself clean while you're scanning the field is a very valuable quality, you know, and that, that kind of helps you if you're a pocket passer to succeed in the NFL. I do, I do want to see him go to a place with a good offensive line, right? But that goes for any quarterback, right? So I don't think that's exclusive to him. Also throwing a caveat here, Malik Willis, if he goes to a situation where he can develop, obviously not going to be right away, probably needs a bridge quarterback, yep. but has the, I, you know, I think we agree here that he has the highest ceiling. Yes, 100 percent. I I don't think there's a quarterback in the class that has scratched. I mean, he where he is, these others have already scratched that ceiling, so to speak. Willis Mm -hmm. has not come close to it. He's jumping and leaping. I'm going to throw a Seinfeld. George Costanza jumping for an awning and missing it style. style. So get get on your summer homework assignment. Watch Seinfeld. Yeah, I was going to say that reaction shows the high I haven't gotten on my summer homework for you. For those of you who who don't know, uh, they they love Seinfeld here and I've never seen it. So I need to get. I need to get initiated. Basically, if it's not watched by August, you're fired. So that's that's where we're at. All right. You'll you'll just be put on sabbatical for that. Okay. Okay. All right. I'll I'll, I'll make it my homework assignment here. But, you you know, we we got NFL draft and college football to focus on right now. So let's move on to uh, college football. Speaking of it, we've been speaking of it for 40 minutes. We're going to do some more. Uh, Going to the bowl games here. We've got some bowl previews to run through. And then we're going to sign off. But uh, first off, the Utah versus Ohio State, the Rose Bowl, man. This is a you know pageantry. I love the Rose Bowl. Being a Big Ten guy, Michigan State was there a few years ago, and I was you know that that was the probably one of the highlights of my life, right? So obviously we're back, we're back. So we don't need to wallow in pity for Michigan State fans anymore. We're back, but this year it's Ohio State and Utah, and we've got some prospects to watch. Not all this year. Some of them are for next cycles. Obviously Jackson Smith and Jigba with Wilson and Olave opting out, going to get a lot of opportunities in this one. Clark Phillips the third for Utah, uh, going to be matching up against him on some snaps. Mike Tafua versus Dewan Jones and Anak Vinahi, uh, Josh Fryer, Thayer Mumford. A lot of names to watch. Uh, what are you looking yeah. for in this one, Cam? I'm I'm looking for how Mika Tafua fares against Dewan Jones. I don't know what Ohio State's going to do with Nicholas Petit Freer opting out of the game. Yeah, last time he was not in, they used Thayer Mumford. They slid him back out. I believe Mumford is moving to left tackle. Yeah, so yeah. it's going to be. I mean, if Mika Tafua can beat both either Thayer Mumford, obviously I know what his we noticed, and obviously we picked up on it. His more natural position is inside, yeah. but let's face it, he's a versatile lineman who has experience at left tackle, and so. If Mika Tafua, who quietly had a better year than Kayvon Thibodeau did in the Pac-12 this year, probably should have won Pac-12 defensive player or defensive end of the year at least. Uh, Devin Lloyd is still the best player in the Pac-12 this year, but that's another player to watch, Devin Lloyd. But we won't even get into him because I could talk for hours about Devin Lloyd. That's it. Mika Tafua can secure his place, honestly, in this edge class. I, I believe he got a Shrine Bowl. He just accepted a Shrine Bowl. And Mike, you don't hear a lot about him. And I think he's a player that ultimately will hear a lot more if he fares well against the night is darkest before Dewan Jones and uh, Thayer Mumford as well. So that I'm watching. I'm watching Mika Tafua do that. And then I watch Agent Zero, Devin Lloyd. And then you got to watch Clark Phillips handle Smith and Jibba because I'm going to say something pretty outlandish. Wilson and Olave are good, but Smith and Jibba might be better than the three of them. Let's face it. He is the guy who kept Jamison Williams from the lineup. Jamison Williams could have been wide receiver three, but they were so sold on Smith and Jibba. And what you hear about Smith and Jibba from coaches and people around the OSU program They love JSN. They love him beyond reproach. I mean, this is a guy who can do no wrong. And it's, I mean, it's shown on the field this year. Yeah. And I was going to say, like, I'd love to argue because I'm a big Garrett Wilson guy, but I can't because you look at what he's done this year. He's been so productive, even with those two guys in his offense to think about what he can do next year is the top guy 
It's fun to think about. And by the way, that Dewan pun was worthy of an Ali. Uh, congratulations. So that was that was an Ollie level pun, which is impressive. Not many people try right. to that point. It so. was quick. It went under there. I, I you can clearly yeah. say I, I tell I've, I've had it in my brain to use. It was quick. But yeah, the night is darkest before the wand for any defensive end who stands in front of this imposing six nine three eighty, whatever he stands. I think it's six eight three thirty, but still. Yeah, and you know that's the thing. Um, Tafua is a little undersized, but also I think that works in his favor here because Dewan Jones not very, you know, he, he's powerful. Don't get me wrong, he's big, he's powerful, not very good at bending at the knees. You know, can play a little upright sometimes, and I think Tafua's got a chance to get under him, get that mm -hmm. superior leverage, and he's got a hot motor. You know, that's that's the one thing <laughs> about his game. He's got a hot motor, so he's so he's, fun. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's that could be a potential mismatch for Utah and get some pressure on CJ Stroud. But Stroud's been very good lately yep. in dealing with that. So that'll be another factor. Moving on to the playoffs, man. We got the playoffs. You talking about playoffs? Yes, I am talking about playoffs. But uh, Alabama versus Cincinnati, some very good matchups, man. And we got to start with this one because Jameson Williams, top 15 receiver for me, my wide receiver two. And I could very well see if you have him at wide receiver one. He's a very fun player. Uh, he's going up against Ahmad Gardner, Kobe Bryant. He'll probably match up against, and he'll probably face off against Brian Cook in the deep third on a couple reps. So what are you thinking about this one? Of course, you got Jamison Williams versus the DBs, and then uh, Maje Sanders versus Evan Neal is another one. Yeah, Maje Sanders is a guy who could slip into that first-round discussion as well that we didn't talk about in the edge class. And so if he can – I mean, Evan Neal is massive. Maje Sanders is an underrated 6'5 dude who – I mean, he's got it all off the edge. He's a huge dude. So watching him against Evan Neal when it happens. But, I mean, let's face it. The marquee game matchup inside this game is Ahmad Gardner. Sauce Gardner versus Jamison Williams. When it happens, I mean, must-see TV doesn't even do it justice. This is generational TV almost. This is a once-in-a-lifetime experience for guys who could be the first player drafted at their position. I know we probably – I think we saw a situation like this last year in the playoffs where – it's it's an um, could be likely the number one player or at least a, at very worst top three of their position for the NFL draft top 15 top 20 picks going at it one on one with a decent quarterback obviously to get the ball to him and Bryce Young so to me it's a matchup that favors Jamison Williams but Gardner's done nothing but prove everybody and prove all doubters wrong so I honestly give the advantage to, to sauce just because of his experience obviously not on the big games staged but neither Jamison Williams so I'm going Sauce, and I'm watching if he can make plays across the field on Jameson Williams. Yeah, and Sauce is a fun one because I know you know Jameson Williams' speed has his sheer speed has been killer, but he also has elite hip sync on his routes. Mm -hmm. He can sink and explode without losing any momentum, and that makes him very dangerous. But you look at Sauce. You know, I was I recently looked at uh, Calvin Austin. I wrote his scouting report, and I watched him against Sauce in 2020. And Sauce held his own, man. Don't get me wrong. He was getting a little grabby at times, which he would against Calvin Austin. I mean, the guy runs yeah, like 4-3. And so he's like explosive, really slippery. But Sauce actually held his own, had some play, made some plays on the ball. You know, so athletically, I think he has enough to match up with Jamison potentially. I mean, but Jamison is a whole nother monster because he he not only has that speed, but he's 6'2", right? So he can compete at the catch point as well. So that's a really fun matchup. That's at the top of my list. And, you know, honestly, I, you know, it should be everyone's top. But there's other matchups too. I know uh, Brian Robinson, the running back, going up against Darian Beavers maybe in the box. Another good one, Curtis Brooks versus Emil Akior. That'll be a fun one. So it's Alabama versus Cincinnati. So there's really no area of the field that you can take your eyes off of. Also on the other side, Alec Pierce going up against Josh Job and Jalen Armour Davis. Another very fun one, Armour Davis, a potential sleeper at corner. We're talking about the deep class. But, you know, just it, don't take your eyes off of it, man. There's so much talent on both sides of the ball for this one. Moving on to our final one, Michigan versus Georgia. 
Uh, and this one's another very talented one. I mean, we these two defenses with some of the highest NFL draft prospect density in the in the NCAA. Uh, I, I think you got to start with the defense. I mean, the Kobe Dean going up against Hassan Haskins, and then on the other side, I mean, we saw Alabama. The Georgia killer formula was the pass rush. Will Anderson making yep. and Federian Mathis making Stetson Bennett uncomfortable and forcing him to make mistakes. You look at Michigan; they've got. Aiden Hutchinson and David Ajabo. We were talking about them earlier, both potential top 15 picks. Working in conjunction with one another, they have been nightmares for opposing offenses. So that's the one I've got circled as, you know, not only a top NFL draft prospect matchup with Jamari Salyer, but also a potential key for Michigan to maybe take this one and steal the game because I know Georgia's the favorite. What's the uh, top matchup for you? What are you looking forward to in this one? It's the best pass rushing duo in college football and maybe even in college football history at this point. Ojabo and Hutchinson. Yeah. The over-under for me, I'm going to set it two and a half times that they meet in the backfield at Stetson Bennett, too. I think I'd, I'd pick the over if I'm sitting there right now with how many times they're going to have a meet in the middle, sort of meet Stetson Bennett at the same time moment. I, I'm going to say three or four times they're going to do it because, I mean, this is as talented as you get off the defensive side of the ball. But the underrated one, Daxton Hill, coming down closing space against Zemir White and James Cook. Both talented running backs, this dual threat. James Cook, obviously the younger brother of Dalvin Cook. I, I love how they focal. He's a focal point in the passing game. Yeah. So honestly, we're going to see Daxton Hill against James Cook in the passing game, but also watching Daxton Hill close space, few do it better. So watching Hill in the in the back half, the, the back third, whatever you want to call it, he's not even a back third guy because, I mean, he plays the box better than most as well. So Daxton Hill, a little undersized for me for the position and the role he likes to play, but he doesn't uh, – I mean, he makes up for it with his ferocity, ferocity in, in uh, which he hits. So – Daxon Hill against Cook and, and Zamir White is my other one. Yeah, and that, that's a great one. Last I saw, Daxon Hill's status was up in the air. Oh, this yeah. one if, he's, COVID. if he's available. He's, if he's available, I guess. is the See, I always forget COVID when I'm doing this. I look at injury reports and I just – because it's, you know, we need college football injury reports, but that's a different uh, day discussion. Yeah, exactly. But when he's on the field, you really can't take your eyes away because he's <laughs> so explosive, man. He's fluid too. He projects as a very good nickel in the NFL, but he can play anywhere too. You put him a single high, two high, he can do it. He's very fluid, very explosive, and a playmaker. And then also Vincent Gray, maybe going up against George Pickens, a long Michigan corner who's had a productive year. That'll be a good matchup, too, because if Georgia is going to produce on offense, they need Brock Bowers and George Pickens to be available and be productive. So that'll be another one. But, you know, simply put, guys, New Year's Eve football, something you've got to circle and keep a slot, a time slot open for. Uh, as for us, our time slot is just about closed, so we'll sign off here. But Cam Meller, for my for Cam Meller and myself, Ian Cummings, between the hashes, Thursday edition. Make sure you tune in next week on Tuesday. Me and Ali are going to be talking draft again. We don't know what we're going to talk about. We kind of wing it. We'll figure it out, though. We'll figure it out, and we'll get something for you. You can't tell when you listen that you wing it, but it's it's, it's a delightful show. Tune in Tuesday. I appreciate that, Cam. I appreciate it. And then, hey, we'll see Cam again on Thursday. We'll see him and Tony again. Tony with more NFL draft news. That'll always be an important part as we get closer and closer to the draft. So make sure you tune in for that. Tony's news, Cam's analysis. And then also check out our site. Well, first off, give us a follow on Twitch if you like the content. Give us a follow. Tune in next time. But also go back to the site. We've got a lot of written content as well. Draft profiles coming in and updating as well through the season. Uh, we got an underclassman tracker. We've got a lot of bowl game previews. If you need a roadmap to figure out who's going to win and do some bets. We've got all that for you here at Pro Football Network. Until next time, guys, peace out. Happy New Year.